Welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies. And my name is Chad Lingefeld with LockDoc Security. I'm excited about today. This is a book that I've recently read called You Little Jerk, and the guy who wrote it is going to be joining us on the podcast today. Major insight on how to build a culture and the formula behind building a culture and why it's important for your business or your group or your community or your operation. So we're going to be chatting with Larry right after this. We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes and it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. Oh, yeah. All right, Larry, thank you for joining us today. We're going to jump right into rapid fire. Five randomly selected questions with unknown point values just to get to know you a little better. Sounds great. You game? Sounds great. I All love right. it. Number one, what's the worst haircut you've ever had? I was an extra on uh, the first uh, episode of The Hunger Games. Really? Yeah, I wanted to go see how the production was done. It was done here in Charlotte. Okay. So I went in and I was a game maker, if you know the game. So I was in the the control room, full white suit, and they gave us all the same like unisex haircut. And it was basically kind of a bowl haircut plus where they like kind of shaved my sideburns halfway, kind of did a bowl cut. So I wore hats for about three weeks after that. That's awesome. It was bad. That's a great story. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Number two, what is your strangest talent? Strangest talent. You know, I'm not trying to be overly humble here. I don't think I'm like amazing at a lot of stuff. I think I have a couple things that I do. Strangest talent. Uh, maybe it's a knowledge of like 90s baseball player stats. All right. Yeah. So like I collected baseball cards pretty obsessively during that time in my life. And you memorized all of the stats. Yeah, well, I mean, at the time I did, but I could tell you a lot of things about players and awards and, and teams just... Useless stuff. Yeah, very very beneficial. (laughs) Yeah, useless stuff. (laughs) Uh, Number three, if you were forced to eliminate every physical physical possession that you have from your life, with the exception of what you could fit in a single backpack. What do I take? Yeah. Um, Probably a computer or a phone. Uh, I'm just going to assume that I've got internet access. If not, then, you know, maybe some like hardware. Sure. It's like tap in somewhere or go work from copy shops for the rest of my life. Um, I'll probably take a couple books. Um... Maybe like just a couple uh, pieces of clothing. I'm like pretty much a minimalist. Yeah. About once a year, I tell my wife that I want to sell everything. Yeah. And we've not yet done it. We've been married 20 years. We haven't done it yet, but it's going to happen at some point. <laughs> at some point, probably when the kids are out. <laughs> one day. One day you'll convince That's her. That's right. Number four, what has been the most terrifying moment of your life thus far? Took the family to the Keys two summers ago. All right. And uh, we were with a friend who, this is the friend who is the um, penultimate outdoorsman, right? So just does everything, dives, um, free dives, um, surfs, uh, just everything. Picks snakes up with with his hands, that kind of guy. He takes us lobster diving. Okay. And we're out scouting some areas and we're um, uh, diving around in this reef. And it's maybe like 30 feet to the bottom. And so he's like, hey guys, swim down to the bottom and grab some sand. Sure. So we're doing this, and while we're doing it, um, he's throwing, like, chum in the water because there's a bunch of tropical fish around. Sure. So he's like, this is going to be kind of fun for everybody. Like, these tropical fish are going to come and swarm you, and then we're going to dive down and grab sand. It's going to be like the, you know, life to, a memory of a lifetime. And as we're doing this, and this eight-foot bull shark. Just, also enjoys chum. Yeah, it just shows up. Yeah. And it's swimming kind of casually about 
I don't know, 50 feet from us, passes on one side, I don't know, 20 seconds later, passes on the other side, 30 seconds later, passes again, a little bit closer on the left side. So he's like very pro. Hey guys, um, why don't we jump back in the boat and um, we're going to check out another spot on the reef. Every, oh, everything's cool. calm here. Everything's yeah, calm. Yeah, cool. So we get back in the boat and it's all good. I was like, hey, how aggressive was that? Was that bad? He's like, that was really bad. <laughs> Basically, next to a great white, the bull shark is like testosterone is off the charts. So sure. it's like, oh. So yeah, I guess maybe scariest yeah. moment of my life, but uh, retroactive. <laughs> we're, we're quite, quite sure during the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ah, man, Look, that's this is wild. cool. Look at how big that fish is. All right, last question, number yeah, sure. five. What is the greatest peer pressure that you've ever felt? I ate a fish. Uh, I got a lot of vacation stories with my kids. It's like, should be like taking more vacations. I'm realizing most of my like good stories come from this. I ate a fish on vacation because the kids were catching minnows like in the surf. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, here's the deal. Next fish you catch, I'm going to eat it. And again, I was just trying to make a memory. I was like trying to, trying to create a moment here, which is you know kind of the point of, of like the book I wrote. Sure. And I said, okay, catch this fish. Well, they catch this little, I don't know what kind of fish it was, but it was probably... I don't know, inch and a half. I, I'm shocked that they caught this thing in yeah. the surf. And of course I was like, oh boy, I got to do this. So the kids peer pressured me into this. They're like, do it, do it. I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to do it. And I was like throwing back in my mind to like in the fifties, people ate goldfish all the time. There's like not a big deal. <laughs> so I took this fish and I dropped it in my mouth and I was biting onto the tail. So it would go down head first. It's, Again. Oh, this is this was a this was just out of the water. Out of the water. I'm oh. gonna just eat it. And I was like, well, I gotta make sure it goes down head first. Well, biting onto the tail, I just decide, all right, big gulp of water, swallow this fish. I swore that this fish got stuck in my throat. I was positive it was stuck in my throat. And I'm I think what happened is it put the, the gills out or the fins or whatever. Yeah. And it scratched my throat all the way down. And so I swore it was stuck in my throat. Yeah. I thought it was there for like two days. I was like coughing trying to make myself throw up. I was like trying to do anything I could eating stuff. I drank like five, like handfuls of salt water from the ocean, trying to make myself throw up. It was a disaster and uh, fully peer pressured by the kids. That's, that's a a very amazing story. Yeah. That was like one of my worst. (laughs) I was like, what a low point. (laughs) Well, that wraps up rapid fire. And I think I'm going to give you a score of a thousand and one, which is the high score to this point, Thank because you. those are some great stories. Thank you. Hope we didn't waste all our time. No, congratulations. I, I really appreciate that. That sure. was that was awesome. Well, sure. one, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come join us. I know we har- harassed the mess out of you to get you here, and uh, it's it's really really cool. So, uh, just to, by way of introduction, you are a uh, a, a first time author, but also yes. your best selling author on the uh, Seattle Times list. Um, yeah, I'd like to believe that that's going to happen. So let's just, let's say that, let's speak well, that out just, as if it's the case. Out there. Um, but probably better known for your, uh, commentary at the Novant Health Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's a tradition that started, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago where I just felt like, you know, watching the parade is good. Yeah. Commenting on the parade, I think is better. There is, I, I, I've attended the parade it's it's the, I guess for for those that are watching or listening that are, have no correlation to Charlotte, it is the the local Charlotte Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right. It happens the morning of Thanksgiving That's every right. year, um, and I think there's more excitement on the sidelines watching the parade than there is actually on the parade route itself. That's about right. Yeah, that's about right. Although you know, I'm at a point now where it feels like so much pressure. 
I told my wife the other day, I said, like, I have a few things in my life that really make me insecure. One of them is the parade commentary, because there's only so many, like, gimmicks and gags yeah. you can pull. It's almost like, to the point where you're going to have to start doing research to be able to go. <laughs> That's all right. It's the same parade every year. So, like, I mean, what are you going to do? I'm not a comedian, even though, I like, I like to believe I've got some of these components, but I'm not. And you just realize, God, this is really hard. So, I think probably the best part of the parade uh, was, I think, two years ago, where... I don't even know how you pronounce her name, but the lady that is in, in all the elevators and they, uh, sh- what is it? The Sherry Berry or something like that. She had a, a float that was an elevator. Did you see that? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I may have, but I don't remember. No. It. it was, it was a, it was a classic. It was literally an elevator that they were floating down the parade route. <laughs> Incredible. All right. Well, let's jump into, uh, into the book itself. Tell us a little bit about, um, about the book titled, you little jerk, for those that are interested, available sure. on Amazon and fine booksellers everywhere. Um, tell us a little bit about the kind of the history behind the book. Sure. Because it's a really, um, it's a hot topic right now in everywhere, but sure. bu- business specifically where we, you know, we're, that's kind of our thing here, talking about business practices and strategies. So how does you little jerk apply to the business world? Well, I don't know if this is the West Coaster in me. So I grew up, I was born in Korea. Dad was in the Air Force. We bounced around all over the place. But I spent a considerable amount of my life on the West Coast. All right. I think some of that kind of DNA is in me where when we moved out, my wife and I and our four girls moved out to Charlotte in 2005. Okay. Um, I think we brought some of that perspective, which is we really want to work in a place where we enjoy working there. Sure. You know, it's kind of been a little bit of what I've um, uh, longed for at every stop along the way in my career, meaning... Let's do good work, but let's enjoy the process. Yeah. So I think naturally for me, I try to you know develop relationships, try to create connections, try to find ways to create an atmosphere where it feels like, okay, we like this. Yeah. I think early on it expressed itself in some really interesting ways. So if you worked for me 10 years ago, I probably would have said something like, uh, Chad, I don't really care what you do. Just uh, do good work. And if you need to take a nap in the middle of the day, you need to climb under your desk and like knock off for a couple hours, I'm good with that don't distract people. And, and it was all in an effort to say, Hey, I want to create a space here, a place here where people will enjoy it. Yeah. I think as I started to research a little more around what does this actually mean? What are we actually building? And then the concept of culture became a little hotter and real buzzy. I started thinking, I think that's what we're actually doing. We're, we're, we're talking about how do you develop a culture that becomes uh, conducive to being productive, to helping you enjoy work more. And then I mean, once I started really diving into the, the research on great cultures, more productivity, kind of longer retention, um, higher just joy factor, it's like, this is good. We should build this. And then I wrote the book because I was actually looking for a book on the subject matter. I couldn't find anything. And I thought, well, I'm not an author. I could probably piece something together. Sure. So the way I describe myself as an author is, is functionally ambitious, where probably can write well enough to put something to, to paper and then get a good peop- a good group of uh, people around me to say, let me clean this up and we'll make it presentable. Sure. Hey, thanks for listening to the Coffee Break Podcast. If this information has been helpful to you or you just really kind of like our theme song, can you help us out by rating us on whatever app you're using? And if you get really fancy, how about sharing a screenshot on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn? Okay, enough of all this. Let's get back to the conversation. So the the culture aspect, which is a, a major component of the book, is also kind of 
uh, interwoven with some of your sketches and sure. being able to bring some of the ideas to sure. life through visuals. Where, what does that come from through your, your experience and your, through your background? Sure. So both my parents are commercial artists. So my dad was in advertising for years. He created a bunch of like famous logos that we would all know. My mom is a ceramic artist. Okay. She's also Korean, which means if you know any Korean people who have Korean moms, there's only like one thing you can basically do to be successful. Actually, probably two things. One, you can play the violin and crush it. Or two, you can be a doctor. So my mom was like uh, of the doctor variety. Sure. So my entire life, she was like, you're going to be a doctor. Fine. I went to um, college. I studied biology. thought I was going to do that. Prepped to take MCATs. Um, just discovered I just didn't like it. Yeah. Like it being school. Just didn't like school. So I finished. Finished with my bio degree, barely. Um, and decided I was going to go do something else. I kind of stumbled into creative. Meaning I took a job right out of college. And um, was presented with an opportunity to learn from a bunch of people who had worked at MTV and Disney, just really talented people. Sure. A little bit of a fluke because I knew somebody who got me a job. I showed up for the first day. They didn't even know I was coming. So yeah. it was like very much a favor, right? Like, oh, okay, you work here now. And um, I was a self-taught creative, but my personality is to be a little obsessive. So when I kind of get into something, I just dive into it. So while I didn't love school, I do love learning. So I read every book I could on color theory, layout, uh, I read the manuals to Photoshop and Illustrator. I just, I wanted to know everything I could about it. Mm -hmm. And then I just practiced a bunch. So that's got, that's what got me on the creative track. Uh, I ended up being a creative director for years. My title officially was creative pastor okay. at, a, at a church uh, for about 10 years. And now I'm running an agency. So we're still in the, the creative space. So I run a little agency called Tiny Horse and we're still doing creative stuff. So all of that to say, my parents... I'm um, doing some creative work inspired by the people I worked with and then having an opportunity to kind of exercise those muscles all lent themselves to, I want to write a book that feels like it's the kind of book that I would want to read, which needs a lot of visuals. There you go. <laughs> and you just need a lot of pictures and doodles and it's um, kind of abstract thought um, to help me connect dots on different principles. So it's a, it's a great read. I think I knocked Thank it you. out in, in an afternoon um, because it was very entertaining and uh, one of the things I, I think I mentioned to Aaron after uh, I finished reading it was, uh, if you follow you if, if 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 someone follows you on Instagram and follows some of your Insta stories, just reading the book kind of in your voice is was entertaining. Like kind of hearing you. you talk through it, and I think you even mentioned that at one part is part is that you dictated a lot of the yes. book over time. Yes. Um, so you, you can really kind of feel your personality through the way that the book is written. I think most editors tell you, do not do that. It's like a really <laughs> bad practice. You have to write in a different voice than you speak. But again, I'm not a writer, so I don't have to follow any rules. Yeah. There, there, <laughs> might, not, might not sell, but. <laughs> but I mean, are there any rules now with right. when associated with this? But it's, right. it's getting the idea out and getting the, the theory out because it's very, very valid. The, 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 the concept of building a culture and the way that you lay it out was yes. there's there's a formula behind it. How how did you see that through the different places that you've worked in sure. the different cultures that you've been a part of sure. from an observation standpoint and then maybe as part of what you what you were helping to create or generate? Sure. So I feel like I've had the luxury of having uh, leaders that I've worked under mm -hmm. at every stop along the way who've provided me enough just liberty, freedom yep. to go build something. While I don't think that's required, I do think it helps, obviously. Sure. Because part of this is, you know, the, the, the let me step back one step. Yeah. A lot of people don't like the idea of hearing, there's a formula to create that. 
right? Because it's just like, no, yeah. it can't possibly be true. I'm like, it's just natural. No, I actually think it is true. Yeah. And I think if it, I mean, just like investing or, or anything, you know, if you add some structure to this, if you, if you put some structure in place to manage your finances in the form of a budget, you'll probably be more effective. I think the same thing applies to culture. If you apply a structure or a framework to creating it, uh, it may not be the only way to create it, but it's certainly going to expedite what you're creating. So I think if you look at this um, belief that I have that culture is created by uh, creating consistent experiences, so that'd be the first part, that reinforce behaviors, beliefs, and values, would be the second part, and uh, connect those to emotion would be the third part. I think each of those three phases have a very pivotal part to play. Mm -hmm. The consistency is a big deal in culture because I think there's a little bit of a, like a rut a little groove that you want to start to create in people's brains and their mind space um, that'll help them with creating a culture that sticks. The behaviors, beliefs, and values is about creating one that you want as the leader. And then the emotion is about expediting it. It's just emotion is sticky. I mean, it helps us remember things. So if we can tie it to emotional moments, experiences, feelings, it helps that culture development just move along a lot faster. What would you advise, say, if, if you were talking to a company that, sure. that maybe is unsure of what their culture is or trying to figure out how to, um, how to, how to formalize sure. that? Because I, I, would, I guess I would argue that most every business already has a culture. Yes, uh, I agree. How it, how it is matured over time is a whole other conversation. So if someone is at that stage of trying to figure out, okay, what do we want our culture to look like moving forward versus where it is right now? Yes. How, to, how do you address that? I would say, uh, let's define culture as just a way of life, right? Just generally uh, speaking, yeah. because it gets a little weird when people start saying, well, culture is like the foosball table and like the chips available in the snack room. Like it can be part of it, but let's zoom out a little bit and say culture is just the way of life um, that you're operating within right now. Sure. Could be good. Could be bad. You might be uh, really enjoying it, you might feel like it's a disaster. So, uh, but that, there is one. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's very interesting that you that you mentioned the foosball table and the, and the snacks because I feel like a lot of people associate culture, the term culture, with a fun, relaxed environment. Yes, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. Correct. It's just kind of the 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 personality or the lifestyle that you say yes. of that organization. That's right. I think the foosball, ping pong, snacks bring your dog to work yeah. is like the sexiest version of culture that a certain generation really loves. Yeah. That my opinion was popularized by Silicon Valley. I mean, think of this. If I'm, if I'm a tech company in uh, Silicon Valley, yeah. all I'm trying to do is create an environment that you never want to leave. So one, I'm going to give you all the food, snacks, games. I'm going to put cots there. I'm going to put a doctor on site. I'm going to have somebody who can do your laundry on site. Because truthfully, I want you to stay yeah. and do as much work as you possibly can and just feel like this is your home. Sure. Regardless of whether or not that's good or bad, right? That's, that's a, a lifestyle. lot of the philosophy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think that's what popularized culture as being fun. The flip side of it is, um, I mean, any of us could, we know somebody or maybe we can draw from experience where we say, no, culture was super intense at my last job. Yeah. You know, I had a leader who was really aggressive. I had coworkers who were um, belligerent, um, terrible communicator. All of that's culture. Yeah. All of that is, is factored in. So your question was, um, how would somebody start if they wanted to pivot? Yeah. So if you came to me and said, um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm passionate about in life, I'd probably say, well, instead of sitting here just trying to think through all the things you could possibly be passionate about, let's create a little bit of a system or a, a process you could walk through. And somebody told the same thing to me probably 20 years ago, and I still use it even though newspapers are a little less current. Sure. But I would say pick up a newspaper, physical newspaper, and read it 
every single page, end to end. Pay attention to the things that stir something in you as you're reading through it. Hmm. So the reason I say that is it's a structure, it's a process, and you can start to identify like, oh, wow, I've read this article on uh, human trafficking. It's like really messing with me. It's making me angry. It's, it's you know, whatever. It sure. stirs something in you. And then you can decide, is it the injustice of that? Is it that specific issue? You can start to narrow down things that you might be passionate about. I would say the same thing about culture. Pay attention to some of the cultures that you admire. Mm-hmm. So most of us would say Disney, Starbucks, you know, we would like throw out the, the main ones. But I would say not just the organizations, the families, uh, the teams, um, the brands that you admire. What is it about those brands that you admire? I would say creating that list as a starting point Mm -hmm. gives you an opportunity to say, now that I have a list, what are the common threads I'm seeing here? And what you'll probably discover is some version of, I really like creativity. Well, press a little bit. What about creativity? Well, I guess I just like that people have the opportunity to be expressive. Gotcha. Okay. People can be themselves. That's going to be a, a destination that you'd like to arrive at yeah. as it relates to creating culture. So let's put that on your list. So we got to create that list of where we want to go. And then the more challenging part is the survey of where you are today. Yeah. Because the rocket science behind this is like pretty simple, right? Where are you today? Where do you want to go tomorrow? What does that gap look like? And can we create a blueprint or a roadmap to go from here to there? So if you know where you want to go, great. If you know where you are, that's awesome. It's a little more challenging. Most of the time, that requires um, an unusual amount of transparency, vulnerability, and honestly, if you're um, if you're open to it, you can go walk around any organization. Like you, Chad, you could walk around your team here, and you could pay attention to the reflexes that you see people um, living with or responding with, or mm-hmm. in some cases, not responding with. Meaning, it's sometimes the reflex is something they don't do. Sure, and you can get a pretty good feel for. Ah, I got it. I understand what the culture is. You know, for example, if you and I were walking through the studio today and uh, we walked by some trash on the ground, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good feeling that you probably would pick that up. You're an owner. Culture uh, so probably runs a little like deeper and hotter in you. If the people who worked for you walked through and they didn't pick it up, regardless of whether or not that's good or bad, mm-hmm. right? We have our own opinions. It tells us something about the culture. The reflex wasn't to feel like, okay, I'm going to, take some pride in this environment. I'm going to keep this thing clean and presentable. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you got to take all these things in stride. One snapshot may not necessarily be enough to give us that. But if you start to see trends from reflexes, uh, for example, people don't speak up in meetings when the boss is in the room. Okay. Well, that's part of our culture. Yeah. People don't show up on time to meetings or everybody shows up on time to meetings. We always hit deadlines you know, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You can start to identify these things. What are the things that we're doing more automatically yeah. feel more like a reflex that'll help you identify where you are today. And then again, you can put those two together and say, great, let's start building a blueprint. And then the consistency factor is what's going to help to, to instill that. You asked for it and they're finally here. We are so excited to offer free educational classes to our customers at our new expanded facility. With a range of classes to choose from and new classes being added monthly, you can learn on a variety of topics, including understanding your Brevo system, tips on managing security for your facility, and information on how to navigate video footage with Eagle Eye. All classes include lunch on site and unlimited coffee. Schedule a class today by visiting lockdoc.net slash class. I've I've often been intrigued by, I guess I would categorize it as the characteristics around 
different cultures. Sure. So uh, I know specifically, I, I was joking with a, a couple of folks recently about I was attending a conference and you could just survey the room and figure out who, what company different people were with. Yes. Just by the kind of characteristics yes. that were associated with them, the way that they carried themselves, the way they talked. That's right. Um, and that is, to me, a, a major component of understanding and identifying that from a distance. That's right. And once you get in, you know, you could uh, you can understand the way that they're processing things. Well, this company is more responsive. This one is not re- as responsive, right. whatever the case may be. Uh, but you identify those things, and that is all interwoven in, in part of that culture environment. That's right. What we expect as an organization. And culture is agnostic. So the reality is we, we aren't trying to say it's good or it's bad. Now, you'll have an opinion whether or not you like that for your culture. Right? Sure, sure. Other people, uh, you might love to be direct. Yeah. Other cultures might say, no, 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 we're way more coddling, you know, for lack of a better term, well, those can both be great. Yeah. We're just saying it is what it is. You mm-hmm. are direct. They are coddling. Yeah. So if you can identify the reality of the situation, that at least gives you a starting point to say, great, now we know where we are. Where do we want to pivot if we want to pivot? Yeah. So with that, one of the, the, um, the notes that I had um, folded over on here, correction and an opinion are not the same. Sure. Uh, so, it, and you title this section as Sweaty Palms Conversations. Break that down for us. Sure. Why is that an important part of the culture? So in my opinion, if you aren't willing to have conversations that will be uncomfortable or potentially disruptive, then you're not willing to do what's required to get where you want to go. So in short, right? So if you want to create a certain culture, let's just say, for example, in this particular chapter, it's called Sweaty Palms Conversations because it is that moment that we've all had where you're either on the receiving end of a let's say a call in from your boss. Hey, can I see you for a second? Come into my office. I got to chat with you. And you're kind of hoping they say, I mean, it's not bad. It's nothing bad, but they don't. Yeah. (laughs) So you're walking from your desk to their office thinking what's about to happen. Sure. Regardless of who you are, we've all had some version of this sweaty palms conversation. Now you might get in there and they might say, Hey, I want to let you know, I'm going to elevate you and put you over this, this, and this. Sure. Or it could be, Hey, that happened. Yeah. (laughs) What were you doing? What were you thinking? Could go either way. Someone who is willing to initiate that, that type of conversation is the kind of person who's got the, the metal, the resolve to go build culture. So you don't have to have that to do it, but again, it makes it a little easier, makes it a little faster. So if I'm looking for a culture that, uh, for example, give me, give me one of the attributes that you're proud of in your organization. Um, a, a challenge to improve things. Perfect. So I would, I would lump that into like a general accountability um, bucket. So if I wanted to create a higher accountability environment Mm -hmm. and I currently didn't really feel like I had, or maybe there was like some semblance of that, but it wasn't really pronounced. Sure. Okay. I now have to be willing to go have a sweaty palms conversation. Cause even if you're the boss, I think this is like a big misconception. People assume bosses who are aggressive love these conversations. Well, I do like to argue personally, Yeah. but I don't love a corrective conversation. I don't feel awesome when I do it. In fact, if anything, I feel a little like, I hope they they bounce back. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like I'm looking forward to it, but my willingness to want to have that conversation for the greater good, which is to start to instill a greater level of accountability mm-hmm. makes all the difference in the world. That statement that you read, that correction and opinion are not the same thing mm-hmm. is really more about correction is about helping you um, perform at a higher level, right? I'm actually doing this with your best interest in mind. Opinion may not have any, anyone's best interest in mind. It may just be a statement I want to make. Yeah, yeah. So I think oftentimes we get really uh, confused over giving our opinion and thinking it's beneficial for somebody 
where maybe, yeah, but not automatically. What does the statement protecting our culture mean mean in the in terms of all of this? Sure. So if you have, if you have a clearly defined culture that you'd like to try to create, mm-hmm. I don't think you have to necessarily say we've got eight bullets or eight values or or eight tenets. Maybe you have that. Maybe you don't. All yeah. we're saying is if culture is a way of life, let's protect our way of life. Let me use my family as an example. Sure. Um, our kids are basically um, home a lot right now. Yeah. Right. They're, they're looking for things to do out of school for what seems to be at least the next couple of weeks. Yesterday, I said, uh, we are not going to just sit around and do nothing. So you have to read for an hour and then I need you to do a verbal presentation. I need you to include a prop. Well, that, I mean, ask any of my kids. Yeah. Ask anybody who knows our family. They're going to be like, that is like, so you. That's like, so your family. And the thought for me is, I want moments, right, where the kids don't feel like, oh, yeah, we're just going to like play Fortnite or like surf social all day. I'm like, no, we're actually going to do something. You're going to be productive here. Yeah. So when I say, or when somebody says, protect the culture, I would say, I want to protect that culture in our family, which is a way of life that says, we're going to be productive people. We're going to contribute. We're not just going to sit around and consume and kind of do whatever. Yeah, just to take this as a time off, we're, we're going to see the opportunity here. Correct, which means I have to be willing to do the things or say the things or ask my kids. And trust me, they all hate it. Yeah. But I have to be willing to do those things and prompt them to participate if I want to protect that culture. Because yeah. the flip side of it is, It'll be okay. It's just this one time. It's just two weeks. It's a special circumstance. Well, yeah, but this is when it matters most because when things are working the way they're supposed to be working, they should work right. When they're not working the way they're supposed to be working, meaning there's a transition, there's some sort of unforeseen circumstance that's impressing on us. Well, that's when it really matters that you protect your culture most because that's when you actually have to work hard to maintain it. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this, but core values in association with culture based off of what you just said, how necessary do you believe it is? Um, and, and how, how does it help or hinder the process? Sure. So I think, uh, mission and vision can be extremely overrated. Okay. However, I totally believe in it. Yeah. I only believe in it if you use it, right? Have you ever done a, um, personality profile? Myers-Briggs, Finders, Enneagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I've probably done five different ones. Disc, um, I mean, I can't even think of the other ones. They're only helpful if you know what to do when the result comes back and it says, you're an ENTJ. Awesome. Yeah. So what? So one, I have to know what that means. I need to know how to implement the value that an ENTJ can bring to an organization. Mm-hmm. I also need to know how you should interact with me as an ENTJ. So if I don't know how to do that, if I don't know how to translate that into actual real life, who cares what I am? Sure. I feel a little bit like that about mission and vision where I'm like, you should have one and you should stick to it. Yeah. If you have one and you don't stick to it, then what's the point of having it to make yourself feel good? Cause you have a board you have to answer to because it looks good on a wall. So mission and vision. Great. And then I would say values would be the next expression of a defined mission and vision. So again, should you have them? Yes. If you stick to them, I would rather say don't have them if you're not going to stick to them because it only, it's like, optics at that point yeah just a reminder you're listening to the coffee break podcast also we wanted to let you know that our team puts together a weekly blog post you can find it at locdoc.net slash blog it's guaranteed to raise your iq by 12 points or your money back so it's pretty much a win-win all right back to the conversation i've had this conversation 
quite frequently with new hires as they sure. come into our organization. And I'll, I'll ask them the question, have you ever worked at a company that has defined values or core values? And most everybody that has come through says, yeah, they tell us about it during orientation and then you never hear about it again. That's, that's the only time. Uh, and the, the, the recommendation that I've heard from other people is that they're only as good, and it's kind of exactly what you're saying, is if you find ways to integrate them into your that's daily right. culture. That's right. And that's, that's part of how you can instill that. That's right. So values in my mind operate like parameters. So if I want, um, we have two Huskies. We have two uh, Husky dogs. I have a fence in my backyard for a reason. This is where you're allowed to play. Sure. And without that, they would be off and running, right? It would be a disaster. So values in many ways operate that same way, right? It creates a parameter, creates a, a border, an outline for the space that we can play in, meaning this is going to dictate how and where we're going to operate as an organization. So when people say, yeah, yeah, I came from an organization where we definitely had values. I was like, well, what did you do with them? I mean, we had them on the wall and every once in a while, like the boss would come in or the CEO would come in and he would say something about them. He would say, we stand for this. We'd stand for this. And we wouldn't roll our eyes. It was like, no, yeah, sure. It was just like, okay, sounds good. But unless they're reinforced consistently and it truly becomes a way of life, your values may not necessarily even be a part of your culture. Yeah. And that's, I think that's scary because as you're, Hmm. as a leader in a business, I think you want to believe we have these values. These are a big deal to us. And I would say if one of your values, let's say like for us, we would say collaboration is one of our values at Tiny Horse. Well, if I'm not fostering collaboration, then I don't think I'm really adhering to that as a value. Meaning if I'm okay when people collaborate, that's one thing. Mm. Am I fostering it by saying our process, our ways of working includes you need multiple sets of eyes on this. I'm going to prompt collaboration. That's a true value. Yeah. It's kind of like, kind of points back to the culture. If the core values don't, align with the culture, then that's part of the culture is this is what we say we do, but this is what we actually do. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and that's bad. That's bad street cred, yeah. right? Because what ends up happening is you have employees who hopefully they're not malicious. Yeah. But the reality is if they ever have the opportunity to speak against that, if somebody says, wow, that's really cool. One of your values is unity. Well, guess what your employees going to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's terrible, right? We can't afford that. Now you also can't patrol every single person. So you're doing the best that you can knowing that the, um, uh, you don't have f- full control over everything everybody says. However, if generally speaking, the trends, the ways of life that you're establishing all speak or generally point towards, we're trying to be more unified as an organization. I think that's about as good as we're going to do. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming in today because, this, again, this book really, I think, speaks um, to Anybody that's leading a business or anybody that's in any type of an organization specifically, yes. but as it relates to kind of uh, our, our audience, if you're running a business, it is a great read to understand what you're doing on a daily basis that is either positively or negatively impacting your that's culture right. and what you need to be mindful of because it really is, as a matter of fact, I, I, I have this conversation frequently with people. There's a lot of business owners and leaders that will say it's hard to find good help. Yes. And what it actually returns is, but do people actually want to work there? Yes. Like maybe exactly. maybe it's hard to find good help because it's they you don't have you don't have an environment that people want to come. That's right. Can you copy this key? That's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year. And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? 
Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems, so you always know who has a copy of your key. To find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people and your property. I would say as an encouragement to a business leader, Mm -hmm. one, culture is easier to create than they might think. Mm -hmm. So be encouraged. I think when you understand how it works and the framework that you can implement, it's a little easier than you think. It's not easy. It's easier than you might think. And two, the value of a well-established, pronounced culture is incredible because if culture is in place and culture is identified by, let's say, a reflex, right, Mm -hmm. an automatic response, Think of culture as being machinery that helps you do heavy lifting without you having as the leader to constantly remind somebody to do it. When your culture is, um, we do excellent work. Well, it's really nice as the leader to feel like I really don't have to worry as much. Now I'm not saying just disconnect altogether, but I'm saying I don't have to worry as much about the general quality of the work that we're delivering. It's usually going to be pretty good. Or if your value is we, uh, are relationally driven. We show up on time. Well, it's a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, how much time is spent by leaders or supervisors saying, hey, everybody, we're starting at nine o'clock. Get there at nine o'clock. We're gonna start right on time at nine o'clock. Yeah. Well, once it's part of your culture, when you show up at nine, everybody's there. Yeah. Or most people are there, except for the people that, you know, it's probably never gonna be on time. (laughs) Then you gotta make a decision. Should we keep them? Are they part of the culture? Yeah, that's right. Very, very valid. Two last questions sure. for you. Number one, outside of you little jerk, what's a book recommendation that you would have? You know, I'm super into reading fiction right now. Okay. I've done self-improvement for years and years and years. The best book I've read in the last month or let's say two months, and I'm reading a ton of suspense thriller is The Silent Patient. All right. So if you like suspense thriller, uh, buy it, read it, listen to it. It's incredible. All right. Number two, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, youlittlejerk.com. Best way to get in touch with me. There's an email on the site um, or you can find me on social. I'm just Larry Hubatka everywhere. All right. Thank you, Larry, for uh, joining us today. Really excited to have the conversation. And I'm telling you, uh, I'm unpacked a lot of valuable information. If this is something that's interest to you, make sure you share it. Share it on social media. Share it on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, on YouTube. It is something that can be valuable to most anybody in your life when it comes down to building a culture and understanding what is behind it and why it's important. But the book is great. You can buy it. Obviously, it's available on Amazon, so be sure you check that out. If this is your first time listening or watching, well, we have audio and video versions of this, and you can find all of it at lockdoc.net slash podcast. There's links there. You can subscribe to whatever podcast platform you enjoy listening on, and you'll hear a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. We've got nearly 90 episodes available for you, and you can go in there and start digging in for anything related to business ideas, practices, and strategies. Again, if this information has been valuable to you, we ask you to share it. Uh, Give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you're listening there, and we would uh, definitely appreciate that so it can get the word out to other people. We definitely thank you for uh, all of your support through the Coffee Break podcast, and we look forward to seeing you next week.